I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the very last episode of Text Message, numbered in double digits, episode 99. Uh, <laughs> the UK-focused technology podcast, of course, we are. With me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And brought to you, as ever for another week by you. Thank you so much to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. If you're a patron, of course, this is your regular extended cut of this week's show with extra stories and discussion. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our extended cuts and other perks and supporters every week, uh, you can head to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash UK tech to find out how you can support us for as little as just $1 per episode. Uh, thanks to some new Patreons we've got this week from Fraculus, Tom Mannion, Stan Grip. Thank you very much, guys. And to everybody else, of course, who has been supporting us for the last few months. Now, as I noted, uh, just a few moments ago, if you remember, uh, I-, I made a little joke about how this was the last double-digit episode. That's because next week you'll hear episode 100, which we're very excited about. Uh, we're going to be taping it tomorrow, actually. Today that we're recording is Sunday. We're taping tomorrow. The reason we're taping it tomorrow is because we are doing it live in a studio in London with a full studio audience. Uh, It's going to be a slightly longer show. It's going to be in a pretty different format. It's going to have a full panel comprised of some of the finest uh, examples of British tech and gaming journalists uh, available at reasonably short notice. And uh, we are super, super excited. Um, It's going to be on video as well. And uh, it's going to release at the normal time next week uh, for episode 100, although... Uh, I suspect we'll be releasing the video version uh, a little bit earlier, perhaps for, for some of our patrons, but everyone will have access to it. Uh, we're not going to be charging anyone for it next week either for the for the people on Patreon. Uh, this is a bit of a celebration for us getting to uh, this milestone first triple figure episode, and we, we want everybody to be a part of that. So extremely excited about that and excited that some of our very good listeners are going to be joining us what was that chief it's going to be extremely good i'm looking forward to it um i think it's it's always nice to do something a little bit different uh you know with a podcast and you know it hasn't been too painful to organize has it it's not it has been an enormous pain in the ass i will say we we can do it (laughs) three weeks of logistic planning and 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 writing i mean the the show's script and, and outline is 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 pretty uh, detailed at this at this point but no it's um it's it's been reasonably enjoyable to to put together and I'm, I'm very excited about about putting it out it's it's uh it's going to be great you're in for a real treat so don't miss out that's all i'll say um however in the meantime we are of course spending this week uh, in our usual format and we're going to start with some news and we're actually going to start just briefly i wanted to touch upon the WannaCry uh ransomware virus we talked about this at length last week on episode 98 and if you want to have a little recap about how all that kicked off how it affected our nhs system here in the uk then i, I do recommend going back and listening to 98 if you haven't uh, before but what was quite great to see is that i mean on the one hand there was a big fear that 
after the virus broke last weekend, there was going to be a resurgence of new attacks or copycat attacks this week. And I'm, I was really pleased to see that that didn't seem to happen. The NHS seemed to largely recover um, towards the early part of um, of this week and has, from what I've read recently, been, uh, been basically back to normal. Certainly most of the NHS trusts affected were back to normal by the middle of the week. Um, and the other interesting thing, and I... And, um, I don't normally reference things that I write uh, for my professional employment at uh, at Bloomberg, but I did write a story this week for Bloomberg about how the amount of money that the ransomware uh, perpetrators uh, had managed to collect on Bitcoin was actually low. When I wrote the story yesterday, uh, on Friday, they'd claimed an equivalent of about $90,000 worth of Bitcoin, which given the spread, you know, we had over 200,000 reported uh, infected machines globally. And by some of the huge and wealthy companies affected, you'd have thought that that would be a higher figure. It represents, I think, fewer than 200 total individual payments, given that they, you know, the amount that they, they each wanted. So it was very, very... Um, very not lucrative, let's say. Uh, well, I mean, you say that, but they didn't really have to do anything, did they? And they got a load of money. Well, compared to what it could have raised, you know. Yeah, sure, but I mean, it, it, that is a that is a lot of money for one person to get. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the penalty for being caught for having done it would be extensive uh, based on the amount of crime done. Um, but if you, if you can work out a way of getting that money out and wandering off into the uh, ether but don't forget you're not paying any tax on that uh so you know that's a hundred grand in your skyrocket for nothing i think paying tax on the ransomware is probably the least of the attackers concerns but i also yeah, think course. chief among their concerns will be retrieving the money from the blockchain yes. from bitcoin because while the whilst the, the money is staying put and not being touched it's damn near impossible to use the the Bitcoin transactions to trace the attackers. But once they start touching that money, trying to move it, uh, which I've seen conflicting reports, but everyone I spoke to last week on the expert side said, no, the money hasn't been touched in these three accounts. It's unlikely that that they're going to want to move it because it basically just gives them, it gives the, the legal authorities worldwide who are trying to find these people uh, a clue as to where they might be. And uh, yeah, that's I mean, there must difficult. be a way of there must be a way of doing it, though, mustn't there? No, it seems really not not unless they try and move the money. Not really. The bigger clues are going to be found in the malware itself, I think. So, yeah, you know, there were lots of really little things like, you know, the time code of uh, the compiling date for, you know, one of the virus strains, you know, the, the, the uh, sort of applications, if you like it behind it, things like how there were about 70 different variants of language used for the ransom based on where the attack was taking place but that um you know some of the language language read like a second language whereas some read like a native speaker and so trying to work out this and and uh, there have been lots of spe- there's been lots of speculation about it and and none of it really pertains to uk consumer tech um so we you know we'll leave it to um to others to to go into more detail there but i i did want to point out of course just as a follow-up that uh, we're, we're pleased that the nhs is uh, is back to normal and hopefully uh, critical operations are, are resuming unaffected now um Let's get into some more, uh, slightly more consumer-facing uh, UK news. Not so much consumer tech, but certainly affects a lot of people. Um, according to The Telegraph this week, uh, traffic lights with embedded artificial intelligence could spell the end of rush hour queues in British cities. Now, that's a bit of an optimistic promise, if you ask me. You didn't, but I'll assume that you would have. Um, according to uh, the paper, Milton Keynes 
has become the first city to announce plans, at least, to install these so-called smart traffic lights. What they do is they detect uh, heavy concentrations of vehicles, which obviously happens during traffic jams and things, and then alter the old uh, the green, amber, red patterns uh, to ease congestion. Now, I had actually assumed that traffic lights kind of did this already in some form um uh, you know when i was first reading the story but then i thought well actually it's it's going to be it's going to be pretty hard um to have been able to do this uh for the decades that these things uh, have been in use and i know that one of the people involved in uh, in the companies behind this um, ai system they've said that there is very limited intelligence involved in the current management of roads so i guess actually mm. this is a pretty uh it's a bit of a sea change if you'll excuse the slightly mixed <sighs> visual metaphor uh very much so but listen so this is great this could be great traffic lights are stupid and so stupid in fact that it's actually quite painful to use them sometimes there's one near me that i use on the way to take my son to nursery in the mornings um, and what happens is it, it allows about two cars across um, and it's infuriating because Essentially, if it, it could see that there was, you know, if it could see that there were lots of cars there, um, then, you know, it would be it would be think, well, OK, if I let all these cars go now, uh, you know, there'll be less frustration. It won't it won't affect the traffic flow too much because the other road will then be given, you know, loads of time to clear. Um, and also, you'll often see that there are two traffic lights close together in this particular example, uh, one on the left hand turn. Uh, that means that it can get quite chocked up. So cars turning left will immediately then get caught at this second set of traffic lights, um, which blocks people from going, you know, going straight on and right. So if it was an AI system, if, if all those group of traffic lights were somehow managed together, you could see that the cars were sort of getting stacked up. Then you could do something about it. You could let some through, you know, in theory... It, this could be huge and i think it you know in when we have self-driving cars part of that will be all the cars will communicate with each other all the traffic well in fact you won't even need traffic lights we've talked about this before uh you know when all the cars are just driving themselves you know they'll be able to co- coordinate and they won't smash into each other at crossroads so you won't need traffic lights uh, milton Keynes has the backing of innovate uk and traxis apparently investing three million pounds in this technology um and uh, the telegraph reported that the system should be operational by september next year so if you're in milton and Keynes and you suddenly notice your traffic jams are, are alleviated by some form of non-physical entity that's guiding the road systems, uh, do let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com Well, according to the BBC of this week, mobile phone users, of which we probably all are, uh, will be able to switch network operators by sending a text it's an SMS, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to the provider that they want to leave. And this is under new plans drawn up by regulator Ofcom. Uh, now, the regulator said customers could avoid, avoid uh, by doing, using this method, an awkward and long call to their operator uh, and instead just send a text. Uh, in turn, they will then be sent back uh, switching codes, which I presume would be similar to the, you know, the pack codes that we use today. Usually, I find if you go into those phone calls saying, "I'm look, please don't ask me any questions, just give me the number. Um, because they they know they're not going to get anything out of you if you say that. You just have to be really bullish about it and go, I'm not answering any questions, just give me the pack. Especially if you're all paid up and there's no reason for them not to. Yeah. I mean, this but p- I like this idea. I, I wrote about this earlier in the world. Well, I wrote about it yesterday and um, I, I really like the idea. And I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in in the idea that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, for example, a lot of people will get talked out of switching. 
uh, for various promises, you know, could we give you a new phone, blah, 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 even if that goes entirely against their best interests. Do they actually, is that a bad thing though? I mean, that's one thing to consider, you know, whether what, they... Having, having costs reduced. Well, you'll still be able to call. It won't, it won't go away. Like, you know, you'll still be able to ring up the retentions department and say, look, I, I mean, in some ways it might, it might work out, you, you could be right, it might work out in, uh, against the consumer because the, they will know that if people are calling the retentions department, they might, be, they might only be half serious about it, if you see yeah. what I mean. I do see what and, you mean. And presumably there's nothing to stop uh, the company from calling you once you've applied for your te- your pack uh, online, you know, with your text messages. Presumably, nothing to stop them from ringing you straight after that and going, you know, is there anything we can do? Blah 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 blah. I mean, you know, it'd be difficult to legislate against that. They're your mobile provider. They're usually quite able to call you for any reason they so choose, right? That's true. And and issuing a pack code doesn't mean they're going to cut off your service. It's but the the pack code I think is valid for thirty days and simply ah, yes, allows well. you to go to a new provider and say, here's my pack, but you don't have to use it. No. So I don't see any reason why they couldn't call you afterwards and say hey can we keep you that's right and i mean this this i think changes it slightly in that i think it um it's there are improvements to it to make it quicker and uh, I, I don't know if it's instant if it can be ha- if it can happen instantly uh, but i know that they have to provide a load of information within it as well so they have to tell you if you've got any balances due on the account if there's anything left to pay all that kind of stuff um which is kind of makes it useful but i do wonder if um i can't remember from what i read from the ofcom proposal whether or not they were saying it would be somehow quicker but most people are when that are already going to be tied into a 30 day contract end anyway aren't they so yeah. it won't be able to affect that so there'll still be a certain period of time well while this remains in uh, proposition stage um, nothing is going to change uh, Ofcom will make a final decision uh, in the autumn this year um, but I did read a really interesting figure that almost 6 million people who have a mobile phone contract in Britain and there are 47 million of those people in total um, have never switched providers you know, which is not an insignificant number. And that could be for any number of reasons. It could be ignorance. It could be that they're just happy uh, with their providers. Certainly, I remained with providers for, for many years. But it, it, it was very interesting that 6 million um, have never changed. What I do think is interesting about this story also is that this isn't the original proposition that I think Ofcom wanted. Originally, what they wanted was something that involved just a single step, where you basically just text or tell a new provider hey i want to move to you this is my number and they your new provider do all the back-end service they go to your existing provider they get the pack code or whatever equivalent they have in the back end they tell them the cutoff date and then your current provider tells you hey we know you're moving to such and such here's your final bill here's when your date will of service will expire blah 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 and that is actually what we have now for things like gas and electricity. You know, if you want to move to a new gas or electric supplier, you just go to the new one and say, hey, I'm signing up. This is my address. Uh, You do nothing else. They go to your existing provider, cancel everything. You do nothing with your your existing provider. Obviously, with that is that it is exactly the same electricity. Um, so you basically you're, you're just you're, all you're doing is changing billing providers really um, and they are able obviously to negotiate deals on their own to get better prices for energy but that's why I mean that's why that whole system is 
fundamentally stupid. I mean, you can change water providers, can't you, or something? Or maybe you can't actually do that. But I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I don't remember having a choice when I. I, moved I think to you have a region. Yeah, you have a region, but yeah. it, it, it's no more stupid, really. I mean, gas is the same gas. The electricity is the same electricity. Well, if you are excited by this plan to switch, uh, or, or or if you've had any really bad experiences uh, recently switching uh, mobile phone providers, we'd love to hear some examples. And I'll tell you something else. I would love to hear for those of you listening outside of the UK. It would be great to hear how your country's local rules affect your ability to switch mobile providers. If you've got some real horror stories or if your system locally differs uh, from what we've described having today or or about to have here in the UK, do let us know. It'd be really interesting to compare and contrast those. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, in a little bit of sad news here, um, because we talked about this only about a year or so ago, the BBC is going to close its TV download store about a year, in fact, yeah, about a year and a half exactly almost uh, after it was opened. This, according to a report in The Telegraph, um, uh, this is also apparently because it failed to hit its own commercial targets uh, because of in part, pressure from US streaming rivals, uh, such as Netflix, of course. Now, the store lets people buy digital copies of new and classic programs. It was also linked to from the BBC iPlayer, you know, so an incredibly high-profile source of uh, potential referrals uh, for you to buy versions of things that would disappear off the iPlayer before too long. Uh, But a source told the newspaper uh, that it's being prepared for closure simply because the rapid rise of uh, subscription-based streaming services... um, are also offering BBC programming and obviously also just getting incredibly popular. Um, Ian, what are your initial thoughts on this? Because I think this is both maybe a little bit predictable, but also a little bit sad. Mm, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I'll be honest. Because is it acceptable to not know? Um, yes. I kind of, I kind of feel like I, I think they could just as easily sell it through other places. I don't think the BBC needs its own download store. Uh, now, I understand that it might be slightly more um, financially efficient to have their own download store so that they can, you know, take a lot more of the profit. Um, but I also sort of feel like it it's probably so expensive to run a system like that in, in terms of staffing, in terms of producing the quality, you know, server costs and all that kind of thing. That I sort of think that maybe it would be better if there weren't more stores and if there were fewer stores and stuff was more widely available. Now... I was thinking about this. I'm paying quite a lot now for various streaming services, um, and I think, uh, and I, and I, I don't ever sit down and think, "Oh, maybe it's time to have a little audit about this kind of thing." But it would definitely put me off buying stuff outright now. I, if it wasn't on Netflix or Amazon, I'd probably just think, "Meh, I won't bother. I'll wait. It'll turn up eventually." I'm a lot less. I used to be someone who had to see shows immediately. Yes, so I, don't, did I. I don't. I don't really feel like that anymore. I, I don't have the time. Uh, you know, evenings are usually pretty much a disaster for me, mentally speaking. So I, I'll sit down to watch TV and then almost certainly just fall asleep. <laughs> um, so, so for me, it, it's kind of like I, I'm a bit more picky about the sort of TV I watch now, um, and I don't mind waiting for it. And if I can avoid spoilers, that's usually fairly difficult. But also, I come to grips with the fact that hey, it happens, and as much as I hate it. You know, I, I I will still derive some enjoyment from a TV program if it if it's had minor things spoiled. So perhaps I'm not the only person. But perhaps I'm not the best example of someone. But I kind of think that I I can see why it failed, and I, I don't think, particularly care. I think you're right in that the 
popularity of being able to buy BBC programming through other stores, like iTunes, for example. You can download, you know, what to me looks like every BBC program made. You can buy individual episodes of or series of from from iTunes, and and there are others obviously around. Yeah. And and Netflix as well. You know, a lot of BBC programming is on Netflix. Sure. You're not going to find the very latest. I've noticed that some series are are, are absent. I, I vaguely remember when I watched Gavin and Stacey, which is not a program I ever thought I'd like, but I turned out to really like it. Um, I remember noticing that something like only series two and three were on, and, you know, series one wasn't available. So there are sometimes quirks like that. Um, but I actually really love watching BBC programs on, on Netflix, and particularly documentaries, actually, because a lot of those are in HD. And yeah. when they were first broadcast, or perhaps when I just first watched them, they weren't in HD or, or weren't broadcast in HD or I couldn't watch them in HD. But now... If you can buy them in HD, that's fine. But the Blu-rays are quite expensive. And, you know, it's nice that there's such a, a great repository on Netflix of things like that. And I love that. And and I think that that chimes with, with, with the reasoning that we've come up with today, that people are just using the combination of those streaming services and just going to buy stuff on, on things like iTunes because they're just they're yeah. easier. They don't have to think about, oh, how do I get this onto my device? And and maybe that's there were enough hurdles I, there to stop it, it being a success. Be it, I mean, I, th- this is the thing. I, I guess I think Apple and I, you know, who else I think is really good at delivering stuff like this is Google. If you go to the Google Play Store for buying video, it's actually a really good experience. It's very simple. It works well. The quality is pretty decent. Um, and it's all in one place. And it works on Android and it works on iPhone. Uh, and it also works on Android TV, obviously. So that means for me, I use a Shield. I can watch a Google. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, what Ian is saying here is that he uses the NVIDIA or NVIDIA shield. What he doesn't do is sit around with a sword and shield on his sofa, uh, watching TVs, fending off advertisers with the force of his (laughs) 15-inch iron. I assume that our tech-savvy audience would have probably heard of it, but that's probably wrong. It's a streaming box, yes. It's called the NVIDIA shield, as Nate constantly reminds me of the one mistake I made once. (laughs) Um, and has not let me let it forget about it for I don't know ten years. Yeah, easily ten years. Easily yeah. I, I ten look years. forward to another ten, mate. Ah, brilliant! I can't wait for, for us to be in our dotage <laughs> with you going. Oh, I remember that time when you mispronounced a, not a word. Oh, anyway, God, back in the day, all the video yeah. this and ammed that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so for me, that Google Store is really good, mm. and I would like to continue using it. Uh, iTunes, as much as I like my iphone and ipad i don't have an apple tv it doesn't make a huge amount of sense for me um so you know that that's what i'd look for if i was going to buy a bbc program or any other program i'd look on google first yeah well this is one of the reasons why i do hope that down the line companies like google and uh, apple for, for their respective download stores might be able to come up with some sort of subscription model where you can have a kind of a la carte or all you can eat access to tv programming like we have with music it's very unlikely that will happen anytime soon um, but my goodness would that make a huge difference to how much people might be prepared to pay per month mm. on tv and movie programming um versus what they're paying per month now which for me is you know months go by when i don't pay anything because i'm just streaming things now a bbc source told the telegraph quite literally that the download market just isn't what it once was um and that stands to reason i think i think that makes sense apparently also the bbc is uh, developing alternative plans to commercialize its archive now we've talked in the past about its close development uh, or close developmental relationships with britbox now that's the u.s only subscription saving uh, streaming service it's a joint 
joint venture between ITV and the BBC. It is only available in the in the US, and we talked about that in an episode in March. But apparently, there are plans or were plans to sort of have the US launch as something of a precursor to a UK launch of BritBox. Um, but that's been put a little bit on ice, I think, because uh, ITV CEO uh, very recently quit. A uh, very successful CEO from what I read as well. So they're sort of in search for a new CEO and, and you know, deals like this are going to be delayed because of that. But for now, it seems, ladies and gentlemen, it is all iTunes or Google and all Netflix if you want your BBC download content uh, or streaming content. Uh, let us know any thoughts you have, of course. Podcast at Nate's Line now before we get into uh, a couple of uh, other stories and some more emails we had such a lot of email over the last uh, three or four weeks um, that we just didn't have time to get to, to, to most of them so we wanted to get through a couple in the middle of the show here first and one came from somebody who for deliberately or otherwise uh, didn't leave a name so i'm afraid i don't know uh, who sent this uh, but the unknown sender wanted to defend opera the browser because we did talk about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago and we trash talked it didn't we well, sort of. I mean, I've always thought Opera was fantastic. I think the technology underpinning Opera is is tremendous. And I think they make one of the best mobile browsers you can get and have done for a decade. And I think Opera Mini back in the day when you're on an N95 or something or a N95 to continue the uh, teasing uh, chief. Um, was... well, I don't think I ever said that, did I? No, but I just assumed one day you would. <laughs> so I just thought I'd throw it in there. We can't expect it now. They don't make them anymore. Uh, anyway, but I thought back then, Opera Mini, which, you know, unlimited 3DG connections with expensive data plans, you know, you had 30 megabytes a month for about 90 quid. It would compress data on the server side of a website before sending it to your phone. So it was great technology, but I've always said that I think their place in the desktop world um, is not necessarily where they need to be and they should focus on mobile. This email came in then, um, we'll just, we'll, we'll finally get to it, who says, uh, I would just like to say a few words in defence of the Opera browser. My laptop is quite spec. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. I, I think quite uh, maybe low spec. Um, I wish I could afford a better one. Uh, I've tried nearly every browser. Chrome is so heavy it can literally crash my machine. Firefox is slow and needs patience. Slimjet is quite good uh, but can still become a little unresponsive. I've never even heard of Slimjet. Uh, however, Opera has been a joy to use. It's fast, stable, and I can use all the Chrome extensions. Uh, they say, uh, I've been listening to text messages for years. I understand the views expressed are from personal experience. They are. And my personal experience is that Opera is a very, very good browser, uh, desktop browser. I still have it installed on my machine, and I use it from time to time just to keep on top of the things they integrate. And I think that they've got some great tech. I just think that, you know, given the, uh, the, the competition in the desktop browsing space and given Opera's legacy of innovating on the mobile side, like they really stand a chance being the de facto go-to mobile browser if they if they wanted to but hey ho uh we've got another email this one came in from warren he says catching up on an old show from about a month ago when you were talking about contactless payments ian mentioned that he only uses his phone for payments up to 30 pounds i don't know about android pay but with apple pay there is depending on the retailer no contactless limit due to the biometric authentication for example i regularly pay for the weekly shop in sainsbury's with Apple Pay. I was in an mm. Apple store a couple of months ago uh, getting a screen repaired, also paid with Apple Pay, £120 or so. And the Apple chap I was dealing with said that someone had bought an Aston Martin with Apple Pay. <laughs> uh, he puts in parentheses, hearsay, so do I need to add allegedly. Uh, no, you don't. I think uh, I think that's fine. But I think 
It's true. And Samsung Pay uh, launched in the UK this week. And they, I, I had a briefing with them for a story I was writing for, for Bloomberg. And, you know, they said, again, you know, the contactless limit is at the retailer's discretion because biometrics do allow you to sort of override the limitations enforced on debit cards where you don't need to prove you're the owner um, and, and they are therefore limited at 30 quid. So there is development here. Certainly buying a car is a bit of a push, isn't it? But no, well, nonetheless, it's, it's a good development. Not not if you can afford it. Like, I mean, if, you, if you're one of these people that, say, has an American Express card, um, American Express debit cards, uh, not debit cards, American Express charge cards don't often don't have limits, I believe, which is why they're fairly difficult to get. Um, but And certainly there are credit cards that have very, very high limits uh, for very, very rich people. So it makes sense that, you know, as long as everyone's happy that the security is there, it does, it's probably no worse than... I would say that the, the security involved in buying a car would be such that it would be very inadvisable to do it if you weren't the yeah actual owner of the card, um, you know, because it would just be an easy way to get caught, wouldn't it? Um, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, well, thank you to both of you for your uh, for your opinions uh, sent in to podcast at natelangson.com. Uh, a few more coming up in a little bit. Let's return to the news, though. And according to industry website The Bookseller, I'm just going to touch on this quickly, Amazon has launched Prime Reading in the UK, uh, which is the, marks the first time that this perk to the Amazon Prime subscription has been made available outside of the US since its launch there last October. Uh, what is Prime Reading, you may wonder? Apparently, I didn't know this, it provides a periodically updated selection of about a thousand books uh, for Kindle, uh, including magazines and some short stories, comics, uh, children's books, I think. And they're all part of the, your existing Amazon Prime subscription. So essentially, if you've got Prime and you've got a way to read something from the Kindle service, you're now getting this. So you're getting free books to read every month. Um, Ars Technica had a story as well about this, and they said that some of the included titles for the UK at launch include The Hobbit, uh, the first Harry Potter book, uh, something called When I'm Gone. Don't know what that is, but it sounds depressing. Uh, the Complete Peanuts collection, which I assume is the comic strip and, and not something about salted uh, snack food. And Transformers, Robots in Disguise, Volume 1, uh, which I'm assuming is a child's book, um, but I imagine lots of adults read that too. Uh, there's also magazines, National Geographic, Wired, Women's Weekly, Time, Men's Health, Glamour. Uh, you can uh, read those magazines without having subscriptions to those publications. So it seems like a neat idea. I've never used it, but I'll be interested in hearing if anybody has been using it and whether this is actually a real value add or the kind of thing trotted out um, by big companies to get a bit of bonus PR when they're between product release cycles, uh, or in this case, actually coincidentally with product release because they brought some new Kindle Fires that have Alexa in them to the UK mm. this week too, which you're not going to talk about because you can summarize it in a sentence. Um, and you just did, in fact. I did, in fact, yes. And if you missed that... If you rewind just a little bit, you'll notice it was just before Ian's quip. Um, so this is pretty. <laughs> this is pretty cool. Thanks, Amazon. Let us know if you have any thoughts, everybody. Um, podcast at natelangson.com. Go on, Ian. Give me, a, give me a comment. Well, I was going to try it and I didn't. I probably will. Good. Well, valuable insights there. We had a related email from Lewis, actually, uh, from a couple of weeks ago that, again, we weren't able to get to uh, over the last couple of shows, but it was relevant to talk about it here. It was, we were talked about the value of printed books versus ebooks and things, you know, that old uh, that old argument. Uh, and Lewis says, uh, born in the 60s and I've been reading as long as I can remember. Needless to say, I started with printed books. Since getting my first iPad with a retina screen, I've pretty much entirely given up on printed books. In fact, I have a stack of books 
that has been growing for about five years that I haven't read solely because I don't have them in ebook format. Uh, Lewis says, uh, I do use a Kindle sometimes, but I use the iPad the most. And he uh, also says that uh, he listens to audiobooks, but for less than about 10% of his uh, quote-unquote reading. So this is almost certainly the kind of service that somebody like Lewis um, would benefit from checking out, assuming they have a Prime subscription, because it's all behind that uh, giant annual paywall that is uh, the sort of what is it digital physical hybrid subscription service from the future anyway (laughs) any more thoughts on this very welcome everybody podcast at nateslangson.com Well, that's it for the news this week. We've got uh, just one more email that I wanted to get to before we close out the show. A little longer one. This came in from Nick. Uh, We talked uh, a great deal over the last month about mobile phones and and how we treat them in social situations over dinner at home with kids. Do we use them too much? Uh, Are we addicted to just mindlessly checking social feeds when we could be doing something creative? You know, not judgmentally discussed, but, you know, we have our own personal stances on that. So Nick emailed in with one of his experiences as we asked some people to do he says the use of phones thing is interesting as an up to until quite recently single bloke who lives on his own i probably exhibit a higher than typical use of my phone Uh, this was highlighted to me recently while on holiday with my extended family i spent a week staying with my parents and my brother and his family being among a group of chaotic people was a huge contrast to my usual everyday life but the nice thing that came out of it was being able to spend some time with people dear to me one of the highlights of this was as all having dinner together each evening and then spending a couple of hours playing cards and having a laugh. I'll admit that I spent a good deal of time messaging my now girlfriend and my teenage nephew spent quite a lot of time on his phone too. Somehow it seemed more okay for him to do it being 14 when I'm 43 and should know better or have more self-control. Your analogy of the 1950s father reading the paper is completely valid. That really is no different to us all being absorbed by our own little curated worlds on our phones. We get absorbed by things which we are interested in. And it's not really any different to the 1980s family sitting around eating their dinners off their lap while they all sit silently watching tv there's no social interaction even if there is a commonly shared experience in that instance the difference with the smartphone is it's portable so it allows us to multitask we can engage in our little curated worlds in our hands and somehow it's okay to do this while we're supposed to be engaging with the important things around us the fact is it isn't really okay it's actually really bloody rude and it's pretty It's frankly a bit sad that we've all become instant gratification junkies, resulting in us all being addicted to social media notifications, with this constant feeling like we need to be fully engaged with the virtual world around us. During one of our evenings on holiday, my brother lost his rag and had a right old rant about the use of mobile phones at the table, and he was right. I'm just a bit too used to my own space and own rules when I'm at home on my own. And it did make me think about my usage and think about whether or not it really is enriching my life to the extent that I'm allowing it to dilute the experience of spending time with people dear to me that's from nick so a really personal experience really honest so um you know appreciate that uh, that nick it's uh, it's, a, it's a good a good insight if you have good insights on anything we've talked about today obviously you can send them to us podcast at natelangson.com or send them to us at twitter at text message pod and just before you do that let's check in with the last week's worth of global tech news and what you can hear listening to tom Merritt on daily tech news show tom what's going on 
Well, thank you, gentlemen. This week on DTNS, we talked about why you might want a bot in your Skype video calls. You, you might. Uh, we discussed whether your national health service there in the UK should have helped DeepMind with personally identifiable medical info. Discussed all the AI news out of Google I.O. Discussed the facts as we know them around the U.S. net neutrality debate and speculated whether audio can save medium. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you guys. Great stuff, Tom. Another fantastic week, I think there uh, in tech discussion and that's it from us as well for this episode 99 the next time you hear us it'll be from a live studio in london for episode 100 my goodness am i going to be glad when that's over i'll be honest it's stressing <laughs> me out thinking about this whole <clears throat> bloody thing i can imagine i can imagine but it's going to be amazing. It'll be great to meet some of the listeners. And, and uh, you know, thanks to everyone who, who put themselves forward to come to the show on uh, Twitter and, and uh, by emailing in. It's going to be fantastic. So excited. Uh, Ian, I think that's it, isn't it, mate? I think we're done. I think so, yeah. Right. Toodle pip, everybody. See you in the studio. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.